Season 9 and Beyond the Plate is brought to you by our friends at Ford's Gin. Ford's Gin, a gin created to cocktail. We're going to do a little audio test here. For our guests, we like to have them name three of something or five of something. So since there's two of you, we're going to have you each name three of something. So Kyle, as the chef of Single Thread, name three ingredients you're excited about right now. Yeah, three ingredients that Katina grows on our farm, which is hard to narrow down because there's so, so many. But right now it's all about the tomatoes. It's over 30 varieties, but I'll just call tomatoes as one. (laughs) Also really excited about these beautiful, small Japanese uh, eggplant that she's growing that are really amazing. And then we also have these like big, delicious, super sweet blackberries that are coming in right now. Nice. I like it. Katina is the head farmer of Single Thread. Name three things growing on the farm right now you're excited about. Can be produce or other items. Yeah, I'm going to focus on flowers. Our dahlias are gorgeous right now. The garden roses. And we've got these really just beautiful fields of amaranth at the moment that are just velvety and beautiful. I like it. You are. You will sound good. Let's do it. Hey everyone, I'm Cappy and you're listening to Beyond the Plate, the duo season. I'm a chef by trade and hospitality professional. By day, I head up Rachel Ray's culinary operations and co-founded her cooking and kids charity called Yummo. Six years ago, I had the idea to put together a podcast where we sit down with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the food industry and the social impact they have made in their communities. Hence, the name Beyond the Plate. If you're new to the pod, welcome. If you've listened before, we're so glad you're back. This season, we're featuring some of the greatest restaurant and hospitality duos in the industry. And we're grateful to our partners who make this podcast a reality. With that. Hey everyone, one more thing. The team behind Beyond the Plate is excited to bring you a brand new podcast called Clean Play Club. Clean Play Club is a kid and family friendly podcast that is kind of like story time, but with recipes. Listen along as we share delicious dishes and tasty treats from chefs and celebrities who cook at home with their kids. Clean Play Club is a great way to get kids excited about food and cooking. Find it on all major podcast platforms and on Instagram at Clean Play Club Pod. Now, enjoy this week's episode. Today's husband-wife duo are behind the three Michelin star single thread farm restaurant in in Healdsburg, California. First up, Kyle Connaughton is the owner and chef of Single Thread. His background includes working for Michelle Bra in Hokkaido, Japan, head chef of research and development for Heston Blumenthal at the Fat Duck in England. He contributed to Nathan Mirvold's Modernist Cuisine series, is Professor Emeritus at the Culinary Institute of America, where he's developed curriculum for the CIA's Bachelors of Culinary Science program, and in 2015, co-published Donabe Classic and Modern Japanese Clay Pot Cooking. Enough about Kyle. Time to brag about his better half. Katina Connaughton is the owner and head farmer of Single Thread Farm at Dry Creek's 24-acre property, including greenhouses, heirloom orchards, beehives, a foraging program, and floral design department, as we just heard a little. She farmed in Japan and England before moving to Sonoma to complete her coursework in sustainable agriculture and horticulture. In 2017, Single Thread received a perfect four stars from the San Francisco Chronicle, as well as a James Beard Foundation Restaurant Design Award. Single Thread achieved a rare feat, receiving a three-star rating in the 2019 Michelin Red Guide within two years of opening. That's huge. This is going to be fun. Please enjoy this episode as we go beyond the plate with Chef Kyle and Katina Connaughton. Thank you both for being here. Appreciate it. 
Yeah. Thanks, thanks for, for having, having us. us. We're so happy to be here. So really happy to talk with you both. Now, do you prefer chef or Dr. Kyle Connaughton? <laughs> just Kyle, it's fine. Doctor Chef. <laughs> I didn't mention this earlier, everybody, but Kyle semi recently received an honorary doctorate from the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America. So, congrats there, Chef. Thank you. Let's get into it with a little icebreaker. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Katina, your first. Name the last great bite you had of one of Kyle's dishes. Oh, it was last night. <laughs> I'm very fortunate. We had a very farm-inspired dinner, and it was baba ganoush. It was delightful. Was it using those Japanese eggplants or no? It was all manner of eggplants. And some zucchini in there. It was really, like, inventive. I loved it. Kyle, name name the last thing Katina brought you or the kitchen crew that blew your mind. Could be a flower, piece of produce, honey, whatever. Well, yesterday we were often, we went out into the farm, just the two of us, and it was quiet out there on a Sunday and we just did a harvest ourselves and just was, we were standing out in the vines together, the tomato vines, and just eating the sweet 100 tomatoes and they are like literal candy. candy. Like it tastes like there's sugar in them. I don't know how. Do it. I've never tasted anything like it, but they are, the tomatoes just oh, taste tomatoes like candy. This season are so good. We say that every season, but like, uh, <laughs> but they are so delicious. Yeah, that was really special. I'm in Chicago. I'm in the Midwest. So when I taste a good tomato, I go right back to where it was picked or brought from because the season here is not as plentiful. Right. So short. Well, you have such an appreciation for a fleeting season, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. So you're both from you're both from the suburbs of LA, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Katina, tell me about when you were a kid. What kind of kid were you? Well, I mean, I think I was a kid that longed for a greater adventure than what I had known. So I was a big dreamer. And I met Kyle when I was 15 and fell instantly head over heels for this just skater, snowboarder, punk rock dreamboat. And so we started really just adventuring together. I mean, we've known each other since we were 15 and 16. So the it's been a, a many colorful and textural adventure together. Yeah. Were you into food when you were younger? No, I wasn't into food because I didn't really grow up connected to food. But seeing as I met Kyle at such a young age and his family and he was into food, then, you know, I started to learn a lot, which I was so just deeply approved of. It was such a great learning experience. Did you have a family dinners at all or what was a typical meal like at home? Yeah, you know what? The one takeaway that I have, because growing up in California, we always had just delicious avocados. And so really, that was like my connection to my childhood was avocado and remains still one of my favorite foods. But we weren't really a culinary family. We didn't sit around the table and eat dinner together. And that's why I think that we hold so much value in that now and have, of course, since we were very young together. Who inspired you in the garden? Was there someone in your life that inspired you there? Oh, well, yes. And I I don't really have them close to me anymore. But my entry into the garden was really when we moved to Hokkaido. We were living in a rural agricultural 
area, like in the North Island. And it was just so inspiring. So I met a lot of people who took me under their wing and really taught me about seasonality and, and just how much that they revere it. And I think that transferred just onto me. And then I started just studying plant science and soil science and just really fell into it. And the further I put my hands in the earth, I think the more I discovered myself. So it just kept chasing that feeling. Oh, cool. I like that. How about young Kyle? When exactly did the punk phase start? Oh, I think it started with skateboarding and snowboarding and growing up in Southern California and in that time and just like being more connected to that. Both my parents are from the UK and like sports was like not a thing in our house at all. And so it was really and I didn't really have any interest in like organized sports at all. But I kind of got into those things really early on, sort of skiing since I was like two years old. And then that turned into like as snowboarding came onto the scene like that. And growing up skateboarding, that was kind of like the big the major things in my life. And that was kind of really just, yeah, growing up in SoCal in that scene. And I think that really like also is a big part of what drew me into being a chef. I mean, I always knew that I wanted to be a chef since I was a little kid and I had a real passion for food in particular for Japanese food. But I think it was like the way that it was in the kitchen was a lot like how it was just like out skating or snowboarding with a group of people and everyone like pushing each other to to get a little bit better and it was all like sort of skills they do to learn through repetition of doing things over and over trying and failing wanting to be better and also like wanting to have your own like creative sort of like signature your own style that we want to do so 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 much of that world translated into so much what i loved and still love about the cooking world so interesting so what was the connection to food you were into japanese food as a kid yeah, my, my dad spent a lot of time traveling to Japan when I was a kid growing up. He ran a company that made all of the Olympic gymnastics equipment. So wherever like the Olympics were or gymnastic training facilities were, he and his company were there. And so during the 80s, that meant Japan. So they were in Japan quite a bit. He was spending a lot of time in Japan. They're doing a lot of business there. They were having their like big boom in uh, Japan. So they were putting a lot of money into their like training programs he would come back and bring all these different like snacks and foods and postcards and like all this cool stuff. And I kind of got really fascinated. And so when I was nine, he took me to sushi bar, you know, to kind of show and explain where he had been and uh, a little bit of the food and just like sitting there with him watching the sushi chef work across the counter with his like big knife and slicing fish and making this like really delicious food. And something clicked for me. And I just was like that this is what I want to do, whatever this is. And like that just kind of became like a bit of, of an obsession. And I, my, my dad traveled a lot for work. So we kind of traveled quite a bit and were in different places. And even though I had grown up in, in Southern California, mainly we did travel around and spent like long periods of time in different places and in different countries and then would come back. So it was always about like going out and trying out different restaurants and just kind of trying things at home. And we had Japanese foreign exchange students live with us for a period of time. So I just kind of got more and more interested. So when I could work and I, I really started by one of my first jobs was going into and working for initially as a busboy in a Japanese restaurant. Very cool. 
I mean, I, so I know your father had a huge impact on your life. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I mean, he was a big supporter of you wanting to be a chef, right? Like looking back, my parents didn't do like the, when I would say, yeah, I want to like be a chef and like learn how to cook Japanese food and go live in Japan. They were never like, that's not really a thing that you do. I mean, other people told me that later on, but they were always like really like supportive and, and interested, you know, in that and really helpful. I mean, I went to regular, more traditional culinary school, but then I also went to Japanese culinary school as well. And so, and language tutor for, for many years. And so they were always just like really supportive of that goal. And I, I didn't want to go to regular, you know, university and everything. And I just didn't really want to spend that time. Not that I didn't think it was valuable to have a degree, but I wanted to be in the kitchens, like cooking. So, you know, as soon as I could, I was like cooking and I had a really great mentor sort of early on in culinary school when I went. And this was like in the 90s, culinary school wasn't really like a big thing yet. There weren't a lot of places to go. It wasn't really a thing that so many people talked about or maybe like talked about like in high school as an option. But I just knew that's what I wanted to do. And then one of my instructors got me a job opening Spago Beverly Hills in the pastry department and just kind of really like helped push me into, you know, that that sort of like restaurant scene and working at that level. And once I kind of got connected to that, it was like, this is absolutely like the environment that I want to be in. And this is what I want to do. So yeah, there was that like support to say like, yeah, we understand like, you're not going to go to like a four-year university and then see how you feel about cooking. It was like, my mind is made up and this is exactly what we're going to do. Katina, how about you? Did you go to a college, if you will, non-culinary? Well, a little bit later in life, we had our first daughter when we were 19. So life kind of you know, got a little like unconventional for us, I would say. We didn't take that conventional path. So I definitely delved into education a bit later in life. But Kyle's dreams were so big and we had this young family in tow and we know or we knew at the time we wanted to live and work in Japan and that was a big dream of ours. So we just really set forth on that path and didn't look back. So it wasn't really until we came back to California, I was able to attend a conventional college and kind of gain an education that way. But a lot of my education was really just by doing, just by experiencing and by learning from others. Wow, that's so cool. I love, like, I feel like the dream part, like, has already been said over and over in here, but it just, it doesn't sound cliche. It just feels very real. Like with you too, you know, like from the time you were young and because I had down here, like I want to talk about like is where you are today remotely close to where you dreamed of being. And I feel like people say, where do you want to be five years from now or 10 years from now? But uh, I feel like you guys were, were dreaming. It was more like 20 years because we opened Single Thread when we were 40. So and we started like the dream of having our own restaurant, the dream of being a chef at a restaurant that I own for me, like was like a teenage dream. So we just put a lot of time into it, into ourselves, into our education, and also like raising our kids and living in Japan, living in England, and really just like taking the time, you know, to figure it out. Sometimes people will be like, especially kind of like the earlier years at Single Thread. Now, now the restaurant's six years old. Like in that first two years, people like be like, wow, things happen so mm. fast, you know, here. And <clears throat> that what was true as a restaurant, but we were like, we've been working on this for 23 years before we even opened it. So like 
we waited to be able to have everything aligned exactly how we wanted it to be. We didn't try to race into it. We took a lot of time to spend time in different places of the world, not only working, but also having other experiences to understand like exactly what it is that we wanted to do. And then we took two years building the restaurant. Katina took two years building the, her original farm and now has taken another two years to build her new farm, her 24 acre farm. We went from five acres to 24 acres. So, you know, it's been a really, really long process, really like kind of chasing a dream and still chasing a dream together and thinking about it over the course of a really long time. And also like trying to really stay on a path that didn't like divert us away from what our eventual goal was. And of course, the dreams evolve, like what you think at 17, 20 and 23 and 25, you know, is different. But it, it wasn't that it changed. It's just that it came into more and more focus, especially as Katina's agricultural part of that is that really came in, into focus of saying like, oh, this is more than a restaurant. We want to have the restaurant. We want to have the inn. We want to have that all run by the farm. And that's the important thing is that single thread is we say farm, restaurant, and inn. And you go to our website, it's single thread farms. It's the farm is comes first. It's what drives everything that we do. It drives mm-hmm. the menu. It drives creativity. It also drives our philosophy and just our approach to things. And farming is Uh, Also, another thing that takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of planning and Mm -hmm. they're out there working for months and months and months to deliver a vegetable that we have in the kitchen for just a few hours before we serve to a guest. And then before that, all of the planning and all the work that goes into the soil. So grounding ourselves into like the agricultural process allows us to really like look at time and look at goals and look at direction in a much, much different way than if we were just like cooking, if I was just waking up and saying as a chef, all right, what do I want to cook? What do I want to like, what dish do I want to do? It would just look at it differently. I think our dreams have unfolded in a much different way by having this longer, more sort of agricultural look at time. You mentioned you did pastry, which I think you did pastry and savory at Spago. You think it's important for cooks to be well-rounded and have that experience in both? Yeah, I always wanted to do like sushi and kaiseki and all of these things like Japanese. And but and then I got sent to go and work at Spago and open that restaurant. And I mean, I was so young doing that. And it's part of the pastry team. And it was like one of the best things ever. And it was so hard. And I like really, really got like whipped into shape there. But I loved like the fineness and the sort of precision of the work. And it's such a different sort of thing. And I do encourage all chefs to spend that time in there because it is such a different mindset. I don't know, maybe it was like a year or so ago, I was talking with my our pastry chef, Emma, and, you know, just saying like, when you're constructing a dish on a savory dish, most oftentimes people will have like a protein or like a main thing that they, that exists, that they build a dish around. But kind of with pastry, you have to build everything. Like you may have a fruit, but You're not like serving a piece of fruit like you are a piece of fish or a piece of duck. So like the work that goes into like you have to build from scratch when you're when you're doing pastry. And so I think there's something really great about that process, too. But we as chefs in just in general, we we should try to be as well well rounded. The world of food is so 
huge. We can never know anything about all the different cuisines of the world and all the different techniques and everything like that. But as much as we can well-round ourselves, it just makes us stronger cooks. And we bring things from the pastry world and the savory world and the savory world back into the pastry world. And it really does strengthen you when you are a little more well, well-rounded like that. Katina, you had mentioned how influential, I believe, the farming in Japan was for you and how would influence some of what you're doing today. How about in England? What kind of gardening were you doing there? Yeah, when I was, when we were living in England, I was also cooking. I was personal chef for a family on an estate that had these really beautiful culinary and ornamental gardens. And a lot at the time of the culinary crops were being grown for ornamental purposes. And so I was going to the grocery store to buy a lot of produce that was being grown on site and started to call attention to that because it just didn't make any sense to me. And so anyways, just started to change the conversation around where our food was coming from for this family that really valued nutrition and and just eating very healthy. And so that was a big defining moment for me as well with also making that connection and how important it is and in wanting to continue down that road of educating myself on our food systems and how I could be a better service to Kyle and his dreams as a chef. I keep saying dreams. Gosh, I think we're big dreamers. dreamers. So sorry. <laughs> Keep dreaming. (laughs) Any major differences between um, farms in Japan versus London versus, I guess I'll say U.S. in general, because what you're doing may be a little different than most, but maybe not. But, you know, any major differences between agriculture in those three areas? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think due to climates of where we were living, the seasons were shorter. So the attention to seasonality was quite strong. Whereas here, of course, we have such a like a keen sense of it, but also our seasons are quite long here. We grow all year. Our our summer season is incredibly long. We're growing tomatoes like well into November most years. So I think there are a lot of differences, but sure, there's differences and there are similarities. And what we've taken from that is just the kind of a culmination of those experiences and learned what works and what didn't work and then have applied that to our own practices here. So yeah, similarities and differences all throughout, but that's everywhere. We're all working with what we have and hopefully trying to do the best with what we can. Did you ever think you'd be on stage with people like Alice Waters for your farming efforts? Did I ever think it? Mm, I don't know that I ever thought it, but I sure as hell am grateful for it. (laughs) That's a, a big moment and I respect her so much. And yeah, to be able to stand arm in arm with your heroes is a pretty big deal. So anyways, if I've done something right in this world to have led me there, then I'm very, very appreciative. I love it. Can one of you jump into how you decided to call this venture single thread? Sure. I'll tell you, it was really Katina's idea. We first fell in love with Heels 
Williamsburg when we were 23. We got married on the Mendocino coast. Really, really quick trip, just working and kids. And we came up and got married out on the cliffs, like in the ocean, just the two of us. And then we were, speaking of Alice Waters, we were going to Chez Panisse. That was like our big treat to the two of us was to go to Chez Panisse, which we had wanted to, to go to. I had worked for chefs who had come from there. And for us, it was kind of like a pilgrimage. That's where we discovered Healdsburg. And we had stopped here just for lunch and we kind of fell in love with the town and we were just in love and got married and we were driving through these amazing vineyards and different places and we kind of just dreamed and we said wow can you imagine having a restaurant in a place Mm -hmm. like this and so that kind of became this obsession around Healdsburg and before we moved to Japan we came up here and spent some time in between Japan and England we had about six weeks so we came up here and spent more time just driving around and then When we would have some time off in England, we would just come out here and we would just like rent a car and drive around and just try to learn about it. And kind of really after five years in England, we were really starting to really try to work on it, but we just couldn't do it from a distance. So we just decided to move to Hillsburg. We had no jobs. We had no real investors to speak of, like a little bit of like, hey, well, we'll definitely be a part of it when you get there, but we just had to get on the ground and Tina to focus on her farming and her education and just to start the process, the lengthy process of really trying to figure it out. And as the pieces came together and we knew we wanted to have the farm and we knew we wanted to have the inn and we knew we wanted to have the restaurant and it also the space that we ended up spent two years building also came with a winery permit. So we're like, okay, well, we have this small winery. And so as we were going out into the world and trying to explain what we were going to do and people were saying, wow, this is like so complicated from the, you don't want to just open the restaurant first and these different parts are like, no, it all has to open at the same time. It's all one single thread that runs through everything that we do, which is the hospitality and the agriculture is all runs through this. Like it's not individual pieces. It's all this one thing. And so we kind of had written down our partner, Tony, who's been amazing in helping us put it all together and run this, uh, you know, with us. You know, I think he had, had written it out about this, like one single thread, trying to simplify, not simplify, but trying to like bring that, that thought all together. And then Katina said, that's what I want to call it. Well, we had it as a placeholder yeah, it was a place for the holder. longest time. Yeah. It was just a, like a folder that was called single thread. And so when we were just going through all the motions of trying to figure out what we would call this restaurant, we realized that we had named it ages ago, very organically. That's really cool. I love that. I'm thinking back to a few minutes ago when you were saying how the farm drives the inn, drives the restaurant. I I think that I I thought that was so cool. And I'm curious for someone listening who hasn't visited, may or may not be familiar. How do you describe the experience at Single Thread from the restaurant to the inn to the farm, all of it? Yeah, I mean, the experience is really about more of having a guest feel like they're at a dinner party in our home rather than they're in this like really stuffy or high pressure three Michelin star experience. And that was really leading with hospitality for us. It was like in our design, we got to like build this building and design where everything was going to go. So the way that the guests came through the property and arrived and have this welcome drink in the, that's given to you through the kitchen and our rooftop gardens and the whole experience, the way that it sort of like unfolds on the table and the way that the kitchen is completely open and guests can walk in and out and see what we're doing and we can have that conversation was really everything about more of you're coming to our home and having this dinner party 
and less of like you're going to a restaurant experience or like where you're like the audience of, uh, you know, to an experience. I always say like, you don't want to feel like you're just sitting in the audience at a Broadway play where like the performance is sort of like washing over you. You're dining. This is your experience. So you're there as a guest to experience yourselves. And we're there to do the menu and the dishes and take care of your allergies and your dietary restrictions and your preferences and help you celebrate whatever you're celebrating and find the right wine that that is kind of suits everything that you're looking for and to like tell the story of what we're what we're doing when we say that at single thread we tell the story of today so when you come in and through this experience we are sharing you with you everything that is today so this is what's coming today from our farm this is what's harvested today this from the perspective of katina and the farmers is what it's at its peak it's fresh they're choosing they're, the kitchen, it really starts in the farm when they're harvesting. They're picking the sizes and the ripeness and they're going through and they're really choosing what they want to get into the restaurant. And then the restaurant and the restaurant, we're turning those into dishes and then we're in turn then sharing that story. So, you know, we're saying this is what's coming from our farm, whether it be the ingredients or the flowers in the room or the floral integrated into the dishes or to the story of the seafood and that seasonality or these different farmers and artisans that we work with. We're telling all of that story of these are all these things that are done today on purpose for this experience that you're having. And that's really to ground our guests into that moment, to give them an appreciation for things like the food systems, seasonality, locality, all of these things, but mostly to make them feel very present in that moment, to feel like I can slow down, I can kind of be here and be here in this moment. Everything that is here and around me is about this moment. So I too can be here in this moment. And so that's what we wanted to really create and drive was an experience like that. I mean, we had the fortune of living in different places in the world and traveling different places in the world and going, working at and going to a lot of great restaurants and loved many of the, those experiences. But Sometimes what we felt like at the highest level was sometimes lacking that warmth and hospitality. It was a little bit more about execution and the perfection around the execution and still telling a really good story, but it feeling maybe that that story was a little bit scripted. And we wanted to feel much more like the type of people we were, which was come to our home, let's hang out in the kitchen, like let us cook for you. We're going to take care of everything. And that sort of permeated into everything that we did from the way that the menu is where, you know, we're, we're setting that menu, but you're telling us any dietary restrictions or allergies or versions of things you don't like. And we're rolling with that too. We're getting all that information and you don't have to feel self-conscious about any of those types of things. And then when you're staying with us in our inn, we just have five rooms, but breakfast is included and all the amenities in the room and room service and we're not trying to get money out of you at any at any turn. Everything's just included. So you feel like you're really staying over in our home. Like you wouldn't stay over at our house and then go into the fridge and then be like, okay, hey, if you drink this beer, it's $14. So it's like wanting you to feel like that you're you're a part of that and then connect you back to our farm. And if you go out to visit our farm, that you feel that connection between the farmers and the chefs and how all of this kind of very seamless system works. I think it's a love story. 
<laughs> and it's a love story. And it's a love story. <laughs> I think it's a love story. And then when you talk about going out to the farm and experiencing that, it's like I I really started farming because I wanted to, well, I wanted to nurture because I am just a nurturer by nature, but also all of the crops that I started growing were all love letters to Kyle. It was just <laughs> like, these are all these beautiful, beautiful things that I can grow for you to create something just sensational with and and just the joy it would bring you brought me so much joy and then all of the floral in the restaurant as well it's such an expression of love it's all these beautiful flowers we grow all of our cut flowers with the same integrity as our culinary crops and we get to create something so beautiful so special with them so it's just like there's so much of an expression of love that runs throughout. It's, I think it's then, a love story. In in turn, you know, she's giving me all these things that are grown with so much love. And then it's my role as a chef in turn to express that in the hard work of the farmer, right? Like it drives creatively and from a culinary perspective what we do and the stories that we're telling our guests. Because like I said, Katina and her team, they're working for months and months to grow something that we have for just a few hours. If we don't if we don't serve that with a lot of like integrity and if we like over manipulate that beyond recognition or we don't let that take the focus in the center stage, then we're not really honoring all of that hard work and flavor that they put in there. And it's not that we just put a carrot on a plate and serve it, but it is that we are really showcasing all of this beautiful work and all of that love that's put into it. And that that's how we we reciprocate and send, send it back. That's the kind of message that we're trying to send to our guests through the food. Yeah, definitely. It's also a love story to the earth. I mean, we're so fortunate to be able to steward this piece of land. And it's just a, a little sliver, of course, in the context of this entire county. But it is... It's so special to us. And if we can just create a space that will outlive us and um, and be able to, you know, continue to produce food for many, many generations to come, like it's just it's such a gift to be able to do that. And we don't take that for granted. I read you made no compromises, which we heard about as you're talking about Single Thread. What was the North Star for Single Thread? Was three Michelin stars like the goal? No, I mean, that wasn't the goal. I mean, if we got up every day and just thought or just drove ourselves towards that as a goal, I can't say that it's like be a really fulfilling way to have to work so hard. I mean, that that being said, it's something that we're incredibly proud of. And it's something that the team has all worked incredibly hard for, but not in service of that, not to specifically be that. I mean, that is definitely a standard that's held high every single day and means a lot to us but we would do that there's nothing that we do every day that we wouldn't do if we live somewhere where michelin didn't exist which it doesn't in many many places right so if we would have gone somewhere else and that wouldn't have been a place where they were it wouldn't have changed everything anything that we would do you know right now you know the north star for us is really about expressing everything that that we want to and giving an experience to the guest that has them leaving and feeling that, of course, that they've had a delicious meal and they've had some really great wines and that they were in a beautiful place, but that they've created a memory 
and that it opened them up to a different way of just looking at not only food, but just, you know, things in life that are important to us. You know, like I said, we're telling the story of today and we, we care quite so much about our agriculture, about our food systems, about artisans and craftsmanship. And that's a big part of the sort of story that we're telling is that these incredible artisans and craftsmen, whether they be, you know, ranchers or small scale fisheries that we work very closely with or potters who are making plates or lacquerware people or any of these different craftspeople that, that we work with, you know, if we don't support these people in these endeavors that we do, I mean, we have a family that raises these ducks before us. It's just the family and the ducks and us. Like that's that's it. If we, if we don't support these people through what we're doing, then these artisanal things will go away and they won't come back. Once we've lost them, we have lost them. They're not gonna like be resurrected a couple generations later, right? And so we're also trying to show our appreciation for these things. And and so then maybe a guest leaves and feels like, I do want to participate in a CSA program with a local farm or go to the farmer's market or buy things directly from a potter to make my dishes at home rather than just going to Crate and Barrel or, you know, the, these these kinds of uh, things is to give a little bit of the the appreciation. So it's that the North Star for us is really about like stewardship and mentorship. It's like Katina is stewarding the land, you know, for the time that we are on there trying to make it better and leave it better during the time that we're there. And, you know, we're trying to steward our guests in the way that they feel and give them these like memories that they're sharing in with the people that they choose to spend time with. And whether it's that three and a half hours or that overnight stay, that it's really is a memory and it was a time for them to connect or reconnect with the people that they that they choose to spend time with and have had an experience that was like really fulfilling and allowed them to slow down and really be present in the moment. And then the mentorship as well for us is with the people who are coming to work with us. You know, we have, there's 125 people who work at Single Thread. So we have all of these young people who are coming to spend time with us, who are moving from different places to come and spend a few years with us. And what are we teaching them? And what are we leaving them? What are they understanding about all these things that they're going to carry forward in their careers? And so how can we impart these things onto them so that they go out into the industry and it doesn't necessarily have to be in, in fine dining? In fact, very few of them are going on to further fine dining careers. But so where are they what are they taking these lessons about agricultural and seasonality and craftsmen and craftspeople and artisans and good food systems? What, what are they what are they taking that and, and doing that? So, you know, over time, we'll have hundreds and then thousands of people who are like graduating from or from the farm and the restaurant and the kitchens and front of the house who are going to hopefully take on the lessons that they've learned and have that become a part of them and go on to do great things for us. I mean, that that's the North Star for us. Yeah, to be able to like impart good change and raise up the next generation of thoughtful leaders. Gosh, we have many North Stars then. I enjoyed hearing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's many. But, you know, they're like, look, the accolades are great and we are very proud of them and we celebrate them. And then we get right back to work. You know, like we we have that, we take that moment, but it's such a fleeting moment, to be honest. It's like, Something like that happens, mission, and it's such a huge day in the life of a chef and, you know, for us in our journey. And you have that moment and you celebrate it in that moment. And then, like, you're, like, right back to it. Like, okay, we, and here we go. And I think the great thing about the accolades, though, is, is that it just continues 
to set a really high bar that you have to keep going beyond that. And it's not just for our expectations. It's really like our guests and our other, our colleagues, you know, in the, in the industry and to be able to say to the team, to say people come in with a very high expectation and people are watching us with a high expectation. So we have to continue to find innovative ways, new ways to continue to move forward. And we talk every day in the restaurant about Kaizen, which in Japanese means good change. So every day we talk in every meeting and we end every lineup every day about good change and about what we're doing individually. And, you know, good change is like small incremental things over time. Like you don't just wake up one day and make this massive change in your life, no matter what you're trying to do. You're trying to learn a language or finish a degree or learn how to knife cuts or what whatever it is. None of these things just like happen one day. You just kind of gain that knowledge and skill. It's just like small incremental things over time. And so everything individually, as individuals, as a team, as a restaurant, as a family, as everything is that we do, it's like small incremental change every day, but every day trying to make things just like that little bit better. And I think those refinements over time, you kind of look back and it doesn't feel like you're changing much, but you look back and see your cuisine evolve and your the people, you know, around you evolve. And, you know, these people that we had, like our head chef, Marley Brown, she started with us when she was 24. Six years later, she's 30 and she's the leader in the kitchen or these, these people over time, you get to see the incremental good change that they've that they've made in their lives. It's going to jump around and jump in here to some social impact and giving back because really, quite frankly, a lot of what you've talked about is giving back, like through your staff, through the people that come through your kitchens, through the farm. Did you guys do something with a program called Sprouts Chef Training? Yeah. Yeah, and, and continue to. Yeah, I feel like I saw something about that. The fascinating part of this podcast for me is learning how chefs and restaurateurs and food personalities give back and everybody does it in their own way. And quite frankly, whether it's supporting a cause that's meaningful to them, that's meaningful to someone close to them. I know you guys can do an event every night of the week, probably in not even far to San Francisco, but probably in the area where you are. But can we jump in a little bit and just talk about some of the causes or organizations you all work with and when it comes to giving back and social impact? Yeah, there's, you know, there's quite a few. We actually just this weekend, we did a fundraiser for Down syndrome. I mean, I feel like we, we have our paws in a lot yeah, of things. Yeah, there's, there's always a mm. lot of different um, you know things going on. You know, we try to stay close to home and we try to stay close to our heart and our, and our experiences. I and mean, we're very involved with an organization that we helped to start. But this amazing group of people really took control and created this, uh, you know, something was born out of our fires. You know, we, we live in Sonoma County and we're, we kind of unfortunately have to deal with wildfires, you know, up here. And back in 2017, we were very new as a restaurant. We had to close down because for a week because there was fires in our area. We had a walk-in full of food and a farm full of produce. And we, the team just came in and we just started cooking and getting things to shelters and first responders. And from that and from the kind of system that came out, out of that, and it's kind of a horrific time, was established something called Sonoma Family Meal that has then evolved into a full charity now that, you know, during fire times we've worked with. And then during the pandemic, we were doing a thousand donation meals a week for agricultural workers and seniors who were kind of really homebound. And now it's a training facility. And we just actually hired uh, one of the first graduates from their training facilities now working at, at Single Thread. So 
we've seen this sort of evolution. We give every guest the opportunity when they're booking to to make a donation to that. We do we save that up through the year in case we have a fire, and then we are able to deploy a lot of resources very quickly in that case. And if we don't, then all of that money can go directly into the charity at large and doesn't have to just go to the immediate sort of like fire. So that goes into training facilities and things. But we have a lot of local organizations. And I think it's one of those things about acting locally with um, an organization that called Corazon Healdsburg, which we do a lot of work with. And there, there's just always a lot. It's a very supportive community up in here. And there's a lot of people very who are very involved. We're involved now with a group called Russian River Keepers, which we're all in the Russian River here. And that goes directly out into the ocean. And there's parts of that of the river that were really affected by gravel mining that need a lot of like repair and have to do with the sort of areas around the riparian areas around the river, but also what's going out to our oceans and the health of our local river. So it's a lot of local things. But, you know, we also like to give back to the communities, too, that I talked about earlier that kind of gave us our start. And um, we're on the board of trustees for Tony Hawk's nonprofit, which is called the Skate Park Project, which um, we build skate parks in areas that don't have the funds and underserved the ability, underserved com- communities and things. And, you know, our hope, too, is is that one that can give those kids an outlet to to be and keep them out of, you know, different areas where it's like you're telling a young kid that he's like, you know, skating in a grocery store parking lot that he's committing a crime, right? And then, you know, what, you know, you tell a young, impressionable kid that they're a criminal and maybe they're going to start becoming one. And so giving them an outlet of places that they can go, that's positive, but also helping too to take young creative kids and potentially show them that there's a path to do what we've done to into farming, into culinary that can look at someone like Katina and I and say like, oh, that's, I recognize like, that's, that, that's me. That's, there's these creative outlets for sort of my creative thoughts that maybe I didn't, you know, know. So we're involved with that. We also are involved with kind of similarly in the world of snowboarding, an organization that's called the Chill Foundation that was founded by the late Jake Burton Carpenter, who started Burton Snowboards, which is very similarly about getting kids up into the mountains, gaining confidence and life skills, and also appreciation for nature and ecology and the environment too. And uh, so we just did a really big raffle for them and do a lot of, so it's, it all really, it's not separate to what we do. It's part of what we do. It's part of who we are. And, you know, all of these things continue to express that same care for people and experiences and the environment and agriculture. And at the end of the day, it's always really about supporting community. So great. I love it. So we'll kick it over to the speed round really quick. That was awesome to hear that, though. We'll do Kyle, Katina, Kyle, Katina. So number one, what did you have for dinner last night? I had, we made Mediterranean food using all the produce from the farm. It was delicious. That baba ganoush. Yeah. so good. Hey, Kyle, name a smell in the kitchen you love. I love the smell of, of eel skin crisping up. Wow. Interesting. I have not gotten that one before. Name a smell in the kitchen you hate. Kyle. When the floor drains get backed up. Oh. <laughs> Katina, how about a smell on the farm that you love? Oh, I love thyme because it takes me back to the day we got married. I had this really beautiful like vegetable forward dish with a lot of thyme in it. So I, I love when my hands just have all those like aromatic oils on them. Yeah. Very cool. Is there a smell on the farm you hate? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Some yeah, there's moments. probably like a, 
fermented like fish head that our dogs dug up that, <laughs> that should have never resurfaced. Yeah. Katina, is there a resource you would recommend for someone interested in learning about, I'll say, culinary farming? Um, resource? I'd say just get to know your local farmers. Just go to farmer's markets if you have them available. Start asking questions. Ask if you can go and do a stage. And then just go to the nursery as well if you have the ability even to grow things in pots on balconies. Like Start to just connect with how food is grown and give it a go and see how that pans out for you. But connect with your local farmers first and foremost. Kyle, one resource you'd recommend for a young cook? Oh, I mean, there's so many great books that I, I recommend, maybe a little bit more specific to our genre, but... I mean, the greatest resource that you can ever have is to find someone who's willing to mentor you. I mean, you can go work at great places or whatever, but if you have no one who's taking an interest in your education and success, then you're really never fully going to to learn. So my biggest advice is when young people are like looking for jobs and to get started in the kitchen is don't look only for the pay that you want or the kind of food that you want to cook, but find Look first and foremost for a mentor who's going to teach you. I'm going to leave this last question. I'm going to put it up, throw it up there for both of you. Moving forward, what does single thread look like five years from now or 10 years from now? I don't think it looks that much different. Like I said, everything is about slow incremental change and in, in, in growth. And so it's just continuing to make everything that we're doing that just better day, day over day. We try to cook food that we feel is timeless, you know, and not get stuck in trends and things like that. But we're continuing to evolve the, mm. the cuisine. I mean, always trying to get the guests more involved in the agriculture, which is what we're going through right now is trying to find ways to do that. Yeah, that was what um, I was going to say. It's yeah. more guest experiences out on the farm, yeah. just continuing to develop. We've got a 24-acre farm right now that we're growing on about nine acres pretty intensely and so working on the master plan out there but just bringing more people out there to connect with that side of things i think it looks it looks very similar we just look a little bit older yeah <laughs> but joyous all the while i think it just continues to allow us to live a life well lived and to be able to pursue and I'll say it one more time like these dreams that two teenagers started to dream up many moons ago that's amazing thank you both this was a joy talking to you all you sound positive and grounded and like you said joyous and it was really great getting to have this moment thanks, thanks. Kathy thanks see ya thanks again to Chef Kyle and Katina Connaughton Find Kyle on Instagram at Kyle Connaughton and find Katina at Lumberjackie O. Find more on them both at singlethreadfarms.com. To learn more about Sonoma Family Meal, go to sonomafamilymeal.org. To learn more about the skate park project, go to skatepark.org. We'll share a link to those websites and some of the other organizations they mentioned in the episode notes and at beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media at On Kathy's Plate or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is also on social at BT Plate Podcast. This episode was produced by myself along with Ian Cohen, Joel Yetten, and Sean Petrosian. Our digital media producer is Sarah McClellan Mead. Our music has been composed by Goldford. Find him at iGoldford. As always, special shout out to my wife, Katie. 
If you have a moment, would you be so kind as to rate or review and subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice? And don't forget to join us next Wednesday for an episode of Beyond the Drink, our companion podcast of Beyond the Plate, brought to you by our friends at Ford's Gin. And also our brand new podcast called Clean Play Club. Clean Play Club is a family-friendly podcast that is kind of like story time, but with recipes. You can find it on all major podcast platforms and on Instagram at Clean Play Club Pod. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy. And remember, there are never too many cooks in the kitchen.